Hey leaders, welcome back to the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. I am Brad Lominek, your host. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for getting better. Thanks for leaning in to uh, to learn your curiosity factor and also to uh, to continue to grow in your leadership journey. So that's our goal here. We want to help you lead well. We want to help you finish the race well. We want to help you on the race and in the race. And I think this episode is going to help you a lot because we've got two pastors talking and uh, our guest on this episode is Andy Wood. And you may not know Andy's name, uh, but you're going to want to. This is a young leader that is uh, is crushing it in the San Jose area. Uh, Echo Church is the name of his church that he started. He's the founding pastor and uh, currently the lead pastor of Echo Church, multi-site uh, church all over several locations around the San Jose area. And the the uh, the thing I love about Andy is that they are connecting with culture. And if you've been to Northern California in the San Jose area, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, launching a church is not easy, and actually growing a church is not easy. It's one of the most unchurched areas of the country, and Echo Church and their team, and with Andy's leadership, they've continued to grow and make a difference and have an impact and share the gospel and. Uh, lots of people come with us today Jesus is Andy Wood. He's the lead pastor of Echo Church, which and is also in, Andy has uh, a great podcast um, that he co-hosts called the Echo Leadership Andy, Podcast, and you want to check that out. Podcast. You're already listening to this one, so add another one to your list. The Echo Leadership Podcast. You want to check that out, whatever podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on here, John. It's a pleasure to be with you all. I'm so excited to be able to share with you today. As John had mentioned, my name is Andy Wood. I'm the lead pastor of Echo Church in Silicon Valley. Uh, My wife and I actually, along with a few other families, uh, actually friends that we had been uh, close to for a long period of time before starting the church, moved out to the Bay Area in 2008. Um, And just a little backstory on our church. I grew up uh, just outside of Detroit, Michigan. And when I was growing up, I went to a church that was uh, very different than the experience that I had in my relationship with Jesus when I started following him. Uh, the, the, the student group was like full of life, but the church uh, in a lot of ways felt dead, which I'm sure is like none of the churches on the call today. Um, but I remember sitting in the service of the church I was growing up in and having this experience where um, I was embarrassed to bring my unchurched friends to to church, and I prayed a prayer and I said, "God, if you'd ever use me to start a church for people like my friends, I want to do that." And that prayer became the seed of the vision, which is now our our church. Uh, real long story made short. I moved to South Carolina, met my wife. Uh, we moved to Texas. We spent uh, five years going to seminary in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and we actually started a church on a college campus for university students. And while we were doing that, uh, as we were getting closer to graduation, I was doing an extended fast uh, back in 2007 and really felt like the Lord was leading us and kind of releasing us from what we had started there to pursue the vision that he put in my heart when I was in high school. And uh, so we, we pulled out a big whiteboard. We drew a map of the United States. We marked off what we thought were some of the most influential regions of the country. And long story short, that led us to the Bay Area. So we moved out here in 08 
and uh, we've seen God do some great things. Uh, we've we've enjoyed being in a very unreached area uh, because we feel like in a lot of ways it's it's like putting up a well in the middle of the desert. And so our church now is meeting in four locations all throughout the the South Bay area. We actually have one campus that we started in the East Bay, um, and it's been it's been a fun journey. That sounds great. We we love the Bay Area. We uh, my wife and I spend a lot of time there. In fact, I'm down in uh, Newport Beach uh, today. I was telling Andy before this. Um, I'm actually staying with some friends down here that have uh, a number of different bedrooms at their house, and they theme them. I and mean, I'm actually in the uh, the cow room, as you can see. I'm doing the podcast from here. I actually am sleeping in the pig room next door, but they have the sheep room and uh, just a very cool thing. But um, today. I was actually supposed to be in the Bay. We have a boat in Alameda. And so we had made this plan and my wife and a bunch of friends were gonna go over, spend the day over there, but uh, because it's a beautiful day there, as I understand. Yes, it is. So, but I had to cancel, but my wife and the friends are still going. So I'm kind of discouraged about that, but I'm in beautiful uh, Newport Mm -hmm. Beach. We're working actually down here on our, our new church that we're planning in Orange County. So pretty excited about that. Well, uh, this has been a very challenging year, and as I mentioned, being the podcast, we started this podcast um, as part of sort of uh, some COVID uh, instructions and learnings that we were sharing together, and it's continued on, and this is our one-year anniversary. So uh, what have you guys put in place uh, last year because of COVID that you'll keep around, whether at the church level or your own personal leadership? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I know for a lot of us, we've, we've experimented with different uh, forms of ministry that we probably never had before COVID. It, there's a couple of things, I think, John, when I, I look back over the last year, some of it are, are aspects of our church that we doubled down on more this last year. And I would say one of those would be our service into the community. Um, we, we actually did a lot of service into the community, but we didn't have like a brand or a label for it. So in COVID, we started what we call echo compassion. And it was basically our goal was to find people in the community that had needs and match them with people who had the ability to help, whether it was groceries or resources, it was like benevolence 2.0. Um, and that really has been a huge part of our ministry during this year. I would say that that's probably one big aspect of it. I would say the other thing that probably all of us would would agree on is we've we've learned a lot about the importance of community during this time. And the people that have held strong spiritually throughout the course of COVID are those who've been connected, connected to Jesus and connected to each other. And um, at this point, for me personally, I'm more of a believer in the importance of small groups than ever before. And so I would say that that's another aspect for us that we'll just continue to give more energy to realizing that the more people are connected into groups, uh, the, the the deeper they go in their faith, the longer they sustain their faith, and even the more focused on lost people that they are. So I would say all of that. Uh, the other aspect f- for me on more of a personal level is leaning into shepherding, developing, and helping the leaders right around me grow. So for us, that's our executive team. Um, We actually added a layer to our our executive team. So we had the executive team that I lead, and then there's a team right outside that that's called the strategic team. And I've, I've seen a lot during this time, the importance of that team being unified which is a process. And throughout the last year, I think we all have had a lot of really difficult conversations on our teams with people who 
we maybe thought we all saw eye to eye on some things, but we've learned like we all have different beliefs, whether it's politically or how to respond to the virus. And I've just learned, I shouldn't say I've learned, I'm continuing to learn that in some of these areas that there's different ways of viewing it to live in that that mess in the middle with the team and to focus on unity. And then the other aspect throughout this whole time that we've tried to make our decisions through is more of a long-term perspective. And we've tried to put the filter on all of our big decisions and conversations like, how will this play out 10 years from now? So how will we feel about this decision when we're, in my case, I'm 40, so or almost 40. Uh, when I'm 50, how will I feel about this decision? And I think that, that that's another filter that has been really helpful for us to stay unified during this time. Yeah, that's been essential. I know, you know, we've, you know, been on multi-site campus as you are. I've just really tried to have to work really hard because when you don't meet face to face and we, you know, for a long while, we did not meet in terms of our leadership. Uh, we were just trying to be very cautious. So it was all on Zoom and there are so many nuances that are lost in there. And it's good to hear you guys really worked uh, hard on that unity aspect, which is something that I think was probably the most important thing we did. And then we were finally, you know, we, we've met face to face occasionally in backyards and did some things, but like in January, um, we actually had our first sort of retreat. And I'm telling you, it was amazing. Like mm -hmm. to ride in a car with someone and have these conversations face-to-face. -face. Did you guys experience that? And, and have you guys been able to meet face-to-face -face or how's that been working? Yeah, we, we started actually kind of towards the fall of last year doing more outdoor uh, type meetings. And then eventually we moved inside. Um, and it was, it was really unique. Actually, the first time that we were together was like June when in our area, there were almost no cases of COVID in June. There were like 10 a day uh, in Santa Clara County. So we, we could do some things outside with the team. Uh, and that was, that was incredible just being around people. And I'm grateful for technology. Like, you know, if this whole pandemic had happened 15, 20 years ago, it would have been a different story. But I also, after walking through it, just realized there, there's something about being with people in the same room, the, the body language, the interaction that is really hard to replicate with technology. Oh, so, so true. Well, you guys have a have a reputation for the, a passion to reach people far from God. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, maybe where that was born. And then what do you guys do to reach people in your community? So when you think about overarching kind of the church, we, we, I know that you guys are huge on this as well. We, we always talk about how the church has two wings. One is evangelism. The other is discipleship. And it's ultimately the Great Commission. And every church kind of has more... Uh, I would say a little bit more of a bent one direction than the other, but if you don't have both wings, then you know you're you're in big trouble. For me personally, I'm very passionate about creating an environment where people who are far from God can encounter Jesus. They can be transformed, and that that is born out of my own personal experience. Um, some of what I talked about earlier with my own calling in the ministry happened because I had a really good friend of mine. His name uh, is Mark Ostash, and we played football and we wrestled together. So we were in the same weight class, and he grew up in a Catholic family. Uh, he was open to faith, but not a follower of Jesus. And we would have a lot of conversations about what God was doing in my life, about 
uh, about the good news of Jesus. And he was so close to making a decision to follow Jesus. And I always felt like if there was a church that I could take him to that would partner with me, that it could, it could be a part of Mark's life being changed forever. And a really cool story about Mark, actually, uh, just a few years ago, he reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, Andy, I, um, I've been watching some of your videos here, and it looks like you started a church that's very similar to a church that I started going to, and I made a decision to follow Jesus. I got married, and, and my life's been completely changed. So I, I, you know, that part of me that l- loved Mark so much still is what drives me in many ways to create an environment where people like Mark can come. So I think through that filter where if Mark were to show up this weekend or somebody who's been praying for a sibling or a family member or a neighbor for years on end, and this is the weekend that they show up, um, what is it going to be like for them? Are they going to hear the gospel? What's the experience going to be like? And a lot of it, you know, we, we, we talk about three H's with our team. We, we say we want our experiences to be helpful. We want them to be hopeful and we want them to be hospitable. And all of that is just simple, you know, New Testament teaching that, that Jesus modeled, that the early church modeled. But the longer we're in church, the, the more we kind of lose touch with people who typically don't go to church. And so for us, we, we just keep that at the forefront of our conversations. And a lot of it is just really practical stuff, like thinking through what it would be like to be in church for the very first time. So stuff like the signs, you know, do the signs point you where you need to go? When you, when you click on the website, is it easy to find the location? When you show up, are people friendly? Does it feel like they were expecting you to be there? You know, when you get into the service, is, is the music um, done in a way that you can resonate with, you know, is it, is it on key? Is the sound system working? Is, you know, the message applicable to our lives personally, and even stuff like, you know, kids ministry. Um, my wife and I, when, when we first moved to the Bay area, we went to a few different churches just to kind of learn. And we had this really funny experience where we're checking our kid into kids ministry and they had these little lanyards that they're giving everybody. And they asked us the question, they said, um, before we give you a lanyard, we wanted to know, like, are you planning on coming back next week? And I'm like, I don't know. I've just showed up for, you know, five minutes. I don't know if I'm going to come back, but that, you know, a lot of times people aren't thinking through the, what's it like to be on the other side of this experience. So, you know, sometimes churches like, like ours or Bayside that really are super passionate about reaching people who are far from God can get a rap like, well, we water down the gospel when in reality, it's, it's not that it's not that we're changing the gospel. It's that we're everything that surrounds what we're preaching. We're removing all those unnecessary barriers so that when God's stirring in a person's heart and he's drawing them to himself, it's, they don't have a bunch of other stuff that they have to get over to, to get there. You know, it was already hard enough for them, like Fernando, who's a part of my alpha group, who, um, he, you know, he drops the F bomb every other word. And, you know, he's, in Alpha last night was telling us about how he, you know, he just loves to get plastered on Friday and Saturday night. And he doesn't see anything wrong with that. And so the first time he comes to church, you know, he's, he's already coming through all these preconceived yeah. notions and we want to make it as easy as possible to get him to Jesus so that he can encounter the living God and have his life transform. So I, you know, I just, that passion hasn't waned for me. 
Um, sometimes it's harder to focus on it when I'm dealing with a lot of other issues in the church, but I, God just keeps bringing me as a leader back to that and trying to help our church stay focused on that. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, um, at Bayside, one of my roles is, is actually kind of filling the room and, uh, couple of things that we do. Obviously, um, evangelism is important for us, but uh, we give an invitation every week. I'm not sure if you guys, but like we have an invitation every week and we have a table in the back that says, I raise my hand. And we have people go to that table after the service. And we just by giving the invitation every week, people will think, hey, if I bring my friend this week, they could come to know Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, we do that every week. So once people take that step and become a Christian, how do you disciple new believers? Yeah, it's, um, I think that that's the challenge that we all wrestle through. Um, and I think we probably would all agree that there's no, there's no perfect um, form of discipleship. And if we, you know, we all went around the Zoom or everybody that's on Facebook and talked about their own spiritual journey, you know, we have all taken different um, paths in terms of, what would helped us most, but there's probably some commonalities to all of our journey. And so I would say for us, groups is, is one of the most important things and teams. So we want to get people into groups and teams where they're connected to each other and they're using their spiritual gifts. And then we want to help people uh, get to a place where they're able to grow on their own and they're taking responsibility for their own spiritual growth. And we find, we find that like those three anchors are such a huge part of a person's ongoing growth. Um, practically speaking, the way that we do that is we host something we call Activate. And it is, it's about once a month. It's been, a, truth be told, it's a, been a little bit harder to get traction with that during COVID, but we're starting to see that pick back up. And we were, we were having really good traction pre-COVID where once a month, every campus, every location was having this meeting. It's in person. It's like real high touch, almost like a two to one volunteer to attendee ratio. And they're hearing the story of, of the church, but most importantly, they're hearing about how we can help them in their journey spiritually and helping them find a group and into a team. And uh, even some real just basics on their own spiritual growth. And we have found that that, that link in the chain or that catalyst was really helping us move people. And then, uh, you know, as people are moving through an engagement pathway, um, then we want to see people eventually get to a place where they're doing, you know, they're pouring out more in terms of leadership and, and giving away their lives uh, in terms of uh, their gifts, giving financially, um, and then giving of themselves to lead. And so all of that, you know, it looks, it looks different for every person. Some people start serving first, some people start groups first, um, but we just want to make sure it's as easy as possible for every person that makes that decision. Now we, we do also resource people once they make that decision to follow Jesus with like a Bible and kind of how to start reading the Bible. Um, and we find that that helps, but that's also just a catalyst to try to help them move along the journey, but it's, it's messy. And um, I think that we all would agree that, you know, we, we keep trying to make it better, but there's not really a perfect process in terms of discipleship. Right. Yep. That's great. Well, hey, uh, there, there are different, different styles of multi-site churches and how people do multi-site. 
what do you, what's your model for multi-site there? Yeah. Live teaching, video. Yeah. The, our model of multi-site is, um, every, everything on the campuses is unique except for the teaching. And then the teaching, uh, or I should say everything on the campuses is, is live, um, hosted by the campus aside from the teaching. So we're capturing from broadcast location, and then we're piping it into each of the locations from broadcast. Great. Now, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Brad Lomenick, uh, we both work uh, closely with him, um, has told us that you've become sort of an expert at real estate, doing mergers, acquisitions with other churches. Um, tell us a little bit about this and why it's such a, an important emphasis for you. Well, Brad, Brad's really gracious to call me an expert. I would call myself a junkie, not an expert. Um, and I, I just really like real estate. Uh, and some of it is is kind of born out of my upbringing. My dad is into real estate. And so I learned a lot from him growing up. Uh, but in terms of our church, a lot of this is born out of our, our journey, when we moved here, one of the things that several people said to us is that it, the Bay Area is the hardest place in the country to start a church. And I know that a lot of different people say that, but the people we talked to were some church planters. They tried to start a church. It didn't go very well. And they were telling us all the reasons why you can't start a church in the Bay Area. And at the top of the list was, it's going to be so hard for you to ever have a building in the Bay Area because real estate is so incredibly expensive. And I remember this was pre-moving here. We're processing the calling. And I, I felt like the Lord was really clearly taking me to Old Testament passage in Numbers with uh, Joshua and Caleb and the 10 spies and the 10 spies report on the promised land where they, they're they like coming up with all these reasons why you, you can't do it. You can't move in. The giants in the land. And the Lord said to me, Andy, I want you to be a Joshua a Caleb. I want you to raise up a Joshua of Caleb and uh, Joshua's and, and Caleb's for the Bay Area. And that became a mantra for us where we said every obstacle is an opportunity for God to do great things. And so we we had that mindset coming here to say, what would it look like for our church to have buildings in the Bay Area? Um, and God opened up a door for us in 2012. The market was down at that point. Um, and then we just learned as we went along, we realized if we were going to have multiple buildings in the Bay Area, we were going to have to get super creative and think outside the box. Uh, I had an experience where I went to Life Church in 2012, right about the time we moved into our first building. And it was a smaller group of leaders with Pastor Craig Rochelle. And he was talking about how they were buying pieces of land with cash and they were putting six to eight services a weekend in their buildings. And once that snowball built, you, you could see like almost an exponential curve in terms of real estate. And coming out of that, I was like, well, there's not a lot of 12 acre pieces of land to buy in the Bay Area. How how could we think differently about this? And at about that time, the building that we were in, we tried to negotiate to buy it and the owner wouldn't sell it, but we negotiated a master lease. And when we negotiated a master lease, he was about 60% occupancy, 70% occupancy. So we started leasing out the building and pulling down through that the expense that the church was investing. So our overhead was going down or the money that we were paying was going down. And it allowed us to be more liberated in terms of facilities and real estate. And we just learned a lot. There was a preschool in here that was already going. They were about to sell their preschool 
and we said, hey, what if we what if we bought the preschool from you and and we just kept it as a church? And because we had a relationship with them, they sold us the preschool. And then we started, you know, filling the preschool up. And essentially what that did was it it almost removed the monthly cost of using our broadcast location for the church. Wow. And some of it was just like accidental right. luck. But and grace from God, I should say. And then <laughs> and then we from that, we're like, okay, well, how can we leverage that? So a door opened for us to buy a building with a, with a church that uh, was closing their doors, and they but they they wanted to sell it to another church, and then we started helping other churches, much like you guys have done, and several of the churches that we would help, whether it was like with systems or leadership development or strategy and coaching, they would say to us, well, hey, like since we love you guys so much and we have a relationship, what if you guys brought us into the, the family and you be, we became a campus of echo. So we did that a couple times over and then that just, you know, opened up more doors for our church to have some great locations and areas uh, that we, we never could have afforded to buy buildings. So the, the big thing for us and all of this was the realization that all of it flows out of relationship and it's super important. Like, for any church that is doing mergers, the the one that is kind of adopting another church to always keep their promises and do what they say they're going to do because it's building a reputation that results in future ministry partnerships. And we just see it as a very viable option. A lot of churches are at a place in our in our country and especially in in California where they they have some really genuine people that love Jesus that want to see people reach, that want to disciple people, but maybe they don't, they don't have the momentum. They don't have the resources. They don't have the leadership to see their, their buildings used to reach people. And when there are churches that do have that momentum and they can honor the past of the previous church, it's such a significant opportunity for the kingdom. In our area, a lot of those buildings were like, like there's one in our area where a building got sold to a Hindu temple and it went from a, an you know, a Christian church to a Hindu temple. And that that's really sad when you think about a piece of real estate, either going yeah. to a Hindu temple or being sold for buildings when it could be filled with people encountering the, the presence of the living God. So for me, I, I just like it. I like the whole, all, the whole process. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do it more in the future, but we always want to exceed expectations and the ultimate goal of all of these partnerships or any real estate deal is that our buildings are filled up with people who are growing in their faith in Jesus, or if they're not a follower of Jesus, they're encountering him and, and making that decision to follow him. That's great. It's, it's such a creative way to approach ministry. I have a friend that back East and his church, uh, they, they had their, their building, but they had a wing that wasn't finished. And uh, they actually, uh, found a school uh, for autistic children that was looking for a facility. That school had some money. And so they actually finished out the wing and then they rented it from them. And it helped, you know, make most of the payment for many years. And then another situation where uh, a church had um, brought in a dance studio and the similar thing, they finished out a, a part of the church and they were able to use that on weekends for class space. But during the week, uh, this dance school operated, and it, it brought people to the building 
you know, that were were unchurched people that would come to the building for, you know, whether it's their, their kids went to school there or were part of the dance club. So I think that is a really great way to do ministry, especially in these areas in California where it's very expensive. Yeah. I think I think one thing, John, that's super important for churches that, you know, they they're thinking about this is to really make sure that these moves always submit to the mission or the Great Commission in that, you know, I've met some churches in this process that they actually probably should declare death on the church where they have like eight to 10 people still meeting but they're able to keep their buildings afloat because of real estate deals. And I think that that's where for us, we, you know, we've tried to say whatever we do with real estate should always fuel the mission so that we don't have mission drift. And at any point, if it like starts to pull us off of reaching lost people and discipling people, then it's, it's, you know, it becomes a business. And so we just, We've really tried to place that filter on and make sure that, you know, long-term it doesn't become life support for our church or any other church, but it's fueling the mission to reach more people for Jesus. That is so good. There's actually a pastor that's on here almost every week. I don't see him today, Paul Knight. He They actually bought a mall in North Dakota. And wow. they, they're at the centerpiece of the mall. They have a Kmart and all these places rent from them. But it, again, it's a great outreach. They kept this mall alive that probably was going to shut down. And they, uh, the church is thriving and they've got this great space. So yeah, really creative. Incredible. Ideas. So um, now we've talked a little bit about this, but maybe go a little more detail. What is unique about church in ministry in San Jose in the Silicon Valley? So if you've ever been to the Bay Area, which I'm sure probably most of you who are from Northern California have spent some time here, and I'm, I know Sacramento has a lot of this as well, but the, the Bay Area is probably one of the more uh, diverse metropolitan areas in the country. Uh, there are people from all over the world here. You, there are people who move to the Bay Area from countries where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And within that comes a great deal of socioeconomic diversity. And all of that has played out in our church. So on a, like on a weekend service, if you came to any one of our campuses, you would just see a really diverse group of people. And you have people who are wealthy. You have people who they're really struggling paycheck to paycheck. And pretty much every continent is represented except for Antarctica. So uh, trying to navigate all of that complexity in a way that is a, a resonant, like we're resonating with people when we're leading them, but we're also standing strong for truth. So we're creating a culture of truth and grace. Uh, it's created, a. it, it requires a lot of um, finesse and wisdom and discretion with our words and choosing what battles we're going to enter into, what things we're going to like really have conversations about. And I would say just like Sacramento or most other major metropolitan areas, the posture that we take in terms of the church is super important. Like we, we've said this before, and I know that, you know, it's, it's not new language, but we're, we want to be the kind of church that is for our community. That's known by what we're for rather than what we're against. So even when we enter into conversations about really prevalent topics, whether it's the LGBTQ conversation or it's, you know, conversations around the racial divide in our country, 
even realizing like within COVID, the county that we're in was the county that slapped the most fines on businesses and churches in all of California. Uh, and they've made some decisions that really have restricted business and churches from, from thriving during this period of time. And so trying to be in a county where that's happening and maybe having d- different views than some of our local government, but also trying to say, but our goal is not to judge local government and we want to we want to serve and we want to love and we're, we're here long term. So there's a there's a lot of complexity and nuance to it that um, has risen to the surface over the last 12 months, unlike I've ever experienced in the 13 years prior, you know, before that. So that's the Bay Area. All right. Well, hey, so what advice are you giving most right now to church planners? Mm. Probably mostly around if, if you're taking, you know, code COVID. Um, I actually have been learning from church planters. So now during this season, when I'm talking to um the men and women who are planting churches on the front line, I'm I'm kind of asking questions more like what they're seeing, what they're learning. Uh but from like more of a high level, if I'm coaching a church planter, uh, you know, the the most important thing aside from depending upon the favor of God and recognizing that this is a spiritual endeavor and strategy is great, but without the hand of God moving, it's, it's all pointless unless he builds the house. We labor in vain. I would, I would say that is almost a given, but it's not always assumed by leaders. Um, but a second after that would be the importance of building a team of people with different spiritual gifts than yours as a leader. And always knowing that like whatever your wiring is, you're just one piece of the puzzle and God will bring people around you as a leader that have different gifts. And we've seen God do so much more, more rapidly than we could have ever imagined. And that's because we have a team of people. We have some people who are really good at systems. We have some people that, man, they, they're chatterboxes and they could spend hours and go back to back to back in appointments. And, you know, we have some that are really good in ops and some that are really passionate about the community. And all of that creates a team of people that are able to thrive in different lanes because of their wiring that God has given to them. I see a lot of church planters who start something solo and they struggle to get momentum um, because they're they're kind of spearheading it and they don't have a diversity of gifts around them. And I would I would be apt to take more time to build that initial team of people of like eight to ten folks that have different gifts than yours, but they share a philosophy of ministry with you. Um, rather than like marching right ahead. Now I know everybody's who plants a church has to raise money and they got to plant the church and all that. But that initial season in preparation is so important to put together a team. The other the other thing that I would say on this is some of a church planter's vision and values emerges over time. So like you'll put values on paper before before you start the church and some of that will shift over a you know, three to five to seven year, but generally speaking, philosophy of ministry of how you approach ministry. When you, when you start a church, I think personally, it's very important 
that the people who are with you, maybe they don't have the same spiritual gift as you or same personality as you, but generally speaking, they, they buy into the same philosophy of ministry that you buy into. And if you're, if you don't have a team of people that share similar philosophy of ministry, and this is not to say any one way of doing church is the right way of doing church, because there are great house churches, there are great mega churches, there are great, you know, smaller community churches, and, and all different types of churches for all different types of people are needed. But if God has given somebody a different vision for what ministry should look like, and they come on your initial team, you're going to spend an inordinate amount of your time as a pastor or church planter trying to get that person to, to do the, the vision that God has given you to do. And it's the real, it's a real waste of energy and uh, can cost you a, a lot of heartache. So I, I would say that those are some of the big ones. Financial support is huge. We could talk about a lot of that stuff, but that those are kind of initially what comes to mind of what I, I'm saying to church planters. That's some brilliant stuff. I love that whole idea of how the uh, values can evolve over time. And, and you know, we one of the things that uh, our funding pastor Ray will talk about is a lot of guys get going or gals and they start a church and they they formulate a leadership team or an executive team too early mm-hmm. and talk a lot about how like maybe some of the best folks for the church don't come in round one. In fact, sometimes in the first round of of the church and the core group, you get some people that are maybe coming uh, for not great reasons. You know, they've got, uh, they, they had a bad experience in a former church. And so formulating that stuff too early can be a real big uh, issue later on if you don't have, you know, the right people in the place. But Yeah, John, that's, I think that that's super important. And one really practical way around that blowing up is just to be really careful with the language. So like you, you have to have a team, but if you, you can have them function as an executive team when you're planting a church, but just not call it an executive team. You just call it, you know, your, your leadership team. And then what, what you do over time is you add new tables that are smaller tables of, you know, like, so for example, our strategic team, it's called the strategic leadership team. That was previously my inner circle and they all stayed intact. And then I added a smaller team called the executive team. Um, And that we, we didn't do that until we were, you know, probably almost 3000 people. So I think that that there's a lot of brilliance and and wisdom and pastor Ray's counsel on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the whole idea of, um, of having a team that you lead. One of the biggest light bulb moments, we, we train a lot of pastors around the country, happens when we say, you don't, your goal is not to lead the congregation necessarily. Your job is to lead a team that leads the congregation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, it's a simple concept. But for, I tell you, I get more people with light bulb moments like, oh, wow. And, you know, I never, they don't spend enough time or spend enough attention on building the team around them. They're, they're trying to do this broad, you know, congregation development and you really need that team. And obviously you guys are doing a great job because that that's so crucial. Um, what about younger leaders? Do you talk to church planners? Anything you would say to younger leaders right now? Yeah, I like the way that you phrase this. You know, what do you what do you wish you had known in your twenties, or wish somebody had said to yeah. you in your twenties? Yeah. 
Um, Although I, you look like you're in your 20s, so I, I was gonna—I I wonder why that question was here, but man, you, you clarified that a little earlier. If you're if you're listening, you <laughs> can't see it, but about half of my my side is white, and it's significantly more white now than it was pre-COVID. I think yes. I've, it's like those presidential snapshots where you see them. We should do like senior pastor snapshots, <laughs> like pre-COVID, post-COVID. Dog years to pastor years. Yes. Yeah, we've years. all we've all aged quite a bit. You know, 20s, one of my mentors said to me one time that 20s are for training. And he said that to me in my 20s. And I, so that lens was on that decade for me from, you know, the point that I turned 20 years old in college. I, I really saw it as the time to devour as much as I can, learn as much as I can, grow as much as I can. I spent a lot of time in the book of Proverbs, just like going over and over and over again through Proverbs and trying to memorize specific Proverbs that helped me understood how God structured the world and how the world works. Um, the thing that I I don't think I realized in my 20s, and, and some of this, maybe I would not have heard it, and maybe it's God's grace to me. I didn't realize how hard the later part of my 30s would be. And... Mm-hmm. In some ways, I do I do wish, and maybe maybe people did say it to me, but I didn't receive it, and I didn't understand how difficult there there are there are times in ministry that push you to the nth degree of what you have, and you hit a point where in your twenties, in a lot of ways, you're developing skills, you're learning how to manage time, you're learning how to make decisions, you're you're developing some of the skills that if you don't have them, like things just don't move. But then there, there comes a point at which you, you have to lead from who you are, not just what you can get done. And the only way for, for me personally, when you study even like Robert Clinton's book about the making of a leader, or you look at great leaders in scripture and even Jesus, how in the Hebrew, in Hebrews, it says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered that suffering and hardship, all of us will hit some major crisis in our life, whether it's a, a big family crisis, it's a ministry crisis. And that crisis is God's, it is God's gift to you as a leader to form you and to shape you wow. into the image of Jesus that no amount of success and no seminar could ever bring you to. Yeah. When when Jesus said, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, uh, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I give you my peace that where I am or where you are, I'll also be. And, and Paul's words, when, you know, he asked for that, um, you know, the thorn in his flesh to be taken away. And three times God said, my, my grace is sufficient for you, that I, I'll be with you and I'll walk through it with you. So that that forming of our friendship with Jesus through the crucible of suffering in ministry, I, I've seen a lot of people in ministry get more more jaded, more bitter, yeah. you know, even exhausted. And instead of like leaning into that to come through the fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it when it says when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke, and there was there was yeah. no evidence of the fire on them, and that was only because they had been in the fire with the angel of the Lord that He had protected them. So all that to say, I don't, I don't know if I would have heard all that earlier on, but I, I do think there's a, there's a frame that you can place on suffering and hardship and difficulty 
to anticipate it and to see it as God's gift. And by the, the grace of God and the, the inner working of the Holy Spirit to have a commitment that you're going to come through hardship and you're going to be the kind of person that is like this, this sweet aroma before God of a life that loves him and loves other people and serves other people. Um, I would say, I, I wish I could have understood more of that earlier on. Yeah. Very, very smart stuff. We have a, a friend, a pastor in the uh, Palm Desert area, and he uh, was diagnosed with cancer last year and stage four, pretty, really, really serious and um, went through chemo. And he actually got to the place where he was, it was like a miraculous cancer free and uh, it's it's returned recently, uh, but they believe it's treatable. But he was we brought him into a group of young pastors, young leaders, and we just interviewed him. And he talked about this trial of having cancer. And he said these words. He said, he said, I'm a better leader with cancer. Like it actually developed things in him, brought him to a place where he he led better, uh, having this diagnosis of stage four cancer, which is just amazing wow. to hear someone say, but, um, yeah, it's you, you've got some brilliant stuff. We got to have you come up and, uh, we, first of all, we got to get together, you know, get you up to uh Bayside or we'll get down there and love to connect with some of our leaders with your leaders. Cause I really like, uh, your, the way you think and, uh, and, and also kind of your, the spiritual nature of how you, uh, just are so attuned with, with Jesus. So, um, anyway, it's been great stuff. I've got one more question uh, we'll, we'll ask here. Um, what do you wrestle with most as a leader? Mm. Personally, I think in terms of my own leadership, the, the hardest person to lead is me and keeping my heart and my mind in a good place before God is probably one of the greatest challenges of leadership. And, you know, I, I wrestle through, I know that my, my motives will never be pure before, before the Lord entirely. It, this side of eternity, it will always be mixed with the flesh. Um, but being right before God and, and doing ministry in a way that is pleasing to him uh, is one thing that I, I wrestle with a lot, you know, that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to God. I also wrestle through the implications of, of my decisions and especially on like the bigger decisions that we have to make, whether it's a staffing decision or a decision to, to start a location or, or, you know, or not start a location. Uh, I, those big decisions weigh heavy on me and probably sometimes more heavily th than uh, they should. And then you know, th there's a part of ministry that is the, the sovereign grace of God, and it's the favor of God. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So there's there's one side of it that is like, man, if God doesn't show up, then all this stuff is pointless. And then there's the other side of it that is the human responsibility to do what God's asked me to do and to be, be obedient. And I, I do wrestle through the implications when you look at other leaders, other senior leaders who, whether they abandoned ship or they, you know, made decisions to, that, that really affected a lot of people. I just, I wrestled through the implications of how much 
my decisions before the Lord impact a lot of people. Um, and that, that, that weighs heavy on me. And I would say sometimes it's a really healthy thing. And sometimes it's something that I need to release a little bit more before the Lord than I do. I'm not sure if I interpreted your question the right way, but um, if, if there was a different interpretation. No, I, yeah, no. And, you know, like I said, um, this has been uh, been fantastic and uh, just great things. And just have picked up that you're a smart leader, but spiritually focused. And it's obvious, you know, that God's blessing that and using you in a very difficult area to, uh, to, to minister. So uh, obviously doing some great things there. Um, and there's, I guess there's always one question. Is there any question we haven't asked you that you wish we'd ask you? Hmm. I feel like I have so many questions for you guys that the, um, at the thrive team. Um, and I have so much to, to learn from you. <sighs> You threw me with that question. Well, well, you know what? One thing I would say is that I kind of have alluded to this. The, the spiritual and strategic side of ministry and the convergence of those two things together is it's not as separate in our minds that as we often make it. And there's there's a practical aspect to the the life and ministry of Jesus, and there's a there's a reason why, you know, not to get too theological, but the, there's a reason why Jesus came in the flesh, and he walked among us. He he struggled with the same things that w we struggle with. He had he had a mom. He had siblings. He you know he he had to deal with being hungry and being rejected by his friends and so many things that we walk through. And Jesus lived in, in the real world. So I, I think the longer I've done ministry, the more I've seen the convergence of the spiritual and the strategic or the, the physical and the spiritual, that the two of those coexist. Yeah. And living in that tension where you solve problems in, in, in the natural, but you realize that it's all, it's all, it is all supernatural. So it's not only spiritual, but it's all spiritual. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes leaders are either like way heavy on the practical side or way heavy on the spiritual side, but they, sometimes we forget that tension. And so it's not really a question, but it's more like of a statement of to, to live in those two realms where you, you are spiritual as a leader, but you also are living in the world of budgets and difficult conversations and, you know, series planning and all the things that have to run to make a ministry go, but to realize that it's all spiritual and God, God is in all of it. So, you know, I, I just kind of imagine a lot of times when we're around doing a series planning meeting or, you know, we're making decisions yesterday about future auditoriums and, you know, LED walls and all like Jesus likes all that stuff. He's in, he's in all of it. And it, it all, it, it all can honor him. And if I don't have that separation in my mind, it's easier for me to kind of go in between the two realities a little bit more fluidly and not feel pulled by either of them in one direction or the other. Great, great, great answer. Well, hey, we are so thankful for you being on the podcast today, webinar, and um, we look forward to spending some time together. Love to have you come up and teach at the uh, at our Thrive Conference. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about getting you up here to do that. 
some point. But um, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, John, for all that you guys are doing to influence pastors and and leaders all over the country. I'm so grateful for Pastor Ray Johnston and and his ministry. I personally have been impacted by his teaching and several key conversations we've had along the way. And I just know that the the work you guys are doing both in, in the churches that you're leading or the campuses that you have and influencing all these pastors is so incredibly significant. And I'm really grateful to have been a part of this conversation with you today. Well, thank you. And I wish my video worked here, but uh, it's been great to have this conversation. And uh, the yeah, Echo sure. podcast, it it's on all the different platforms, but it's uh, kind of a com- combination of, so once a month, I'll do some kind of leadership content, very similar to this format, but one of our guys on our team interviews me. And then we're like splicing in leaders from the Bay Area. So we have like some venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, people who are leading out here locally, so some uh, some really cool conversations there, like you know one of the executives at Salesforce or one of the guys at Kleiner Perkins, that that kind of stuff. Um, and it's uh, it's just once a month and or twice. It's actually twice a month, once with me and then once with a bonus episode. So and our, our that we we just say our goal, the conversations just help people lead better. Every every episode, we want to help people get a little bit better at leadership. Well, hey, before we check off today, um, we have at Bayside uh, a worship team called Thrive Worship. Uh, they last year released a brand new, um, last year, it's been two years, uh, but they have a brand new uh, album that they released. And we have a brand new song from them that just is coming out. I believe, um, I've heard, I believe that uh, Caleb's picking it up. Angie, shake your head. Do you know if that's true? I don't know. That's, that's what Corbin said that, I believe. But uh, it's been pretty amazing. Been very blessed with great worship uh, leaders at Bayside. And so we're going to we're going to kind of premiere it here. Um, it, I know it was released a couple of days ago, but the first time on the webinar, uh, Thrive Worship's brand new song. So, Erica, we got that ready?
incredible uh, brand new song we're excited about the rest of the songs will be being released shortly hey make sure you join us next week john gordon will be with us he's the author of the energy bus which has sold more than two million copies and uh, a number of top business books so uh, join us next week 
Have a great week, everyone. God bless you. Well, thanks again to Andy. You can find him on social media at Andy Wood on Twitter and also Pastor Andy Wood on Instagram. And then Echo Church is echo.church and just search Echo Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast app of choice and you can find their podcast there. Again, really good stuff. You're going to want to put that one in your rotation. So uh, check it out, subscribe to it, and also subscribe to this podcast. We want you to subscribe so you'll get it every time we release a new episode. We're releasing, we're trying to release episodes every week. Sometimes we skip a week, but uh, that's our goal is to is to bring you content on a regular basis. And we want you to lead well. We want you to continue to get better as a leader. We want you to be healthy, have a thriving church, and you to be as a healthy leader. So that's our goal here. Uh, We'll continue to bring you great conversations with uh, our friends from around the country and around the world. So keep tuning in, keep listening, tell your friends, share. And uh, this is the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast, and we'll talk to you on the next episode.